Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese history through the lens of historical Chinese dramas. We're your hosts, Kathy and Karen. Today, we will discuss episode 68 of the story of Minglan or Zhifo Zhifo, Ying Shi Lu Fei Hong Shou. This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain Chinese phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. If you have any questions, please reach out to us via email at karenandkathy at chasingdramas.com or else reach out to us on Instagram and Twitter. Please do leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to us to. If you are new to the podcast, please check out our Intro to the Podcast and Intro to the Drama episodes. As we normally do for our podcast episodes, we will do a drama episode recap and then talk about the culture and our history reference in the drama, and then finally end with some book differences. Now, for episode 68, it is time for the formidable foes of Madame Tin, Grandma Wang, and the Empress Dowager to fight back against Ming Lan and company. The episode is constantly being cut across a few different storylines, so I prefer to aggregate exactly what these uh, older ladies have in mind and then discuss some of the other plot points in the episode. These ladies all have different motivations for what they're doing, but right now the end goal is the same. Eliminate Gu Tingye. Last episode, Grandma Wang was not pleased to see Madame Qin, Gu Tingye's stepmother, bring the body of her beloved daughter, Aunt Kang, over to the residence. Not only did Grandma Wang immediately see through the fact that Madame Qin's tears were fake, she surmised that Madame Qin probably had a hand in contributing to Aunt Kang's death. Madame Qin originally thought that Grandma Wang would not help her bring down Gu Tingye, but we begin this episode with Grandma Wang wearing a grand outfit, bringing her son to the palace to see none other than the Empress Dowager. Grandma Wang kneels in front of the Empress Dowager and cries about how upset she is that her daughter has died by the cruel hands of Gu Tingye. Hilariously, the Empress Dowager <laughs> isn't moved by her tears whatsoever. She actually talks down to Grandma Wang here because she, the Empress Dowager, never had children that lived to adulthood, so she cannot empathize with Grandma Wang. In fact, the implication is that because Grandma Wang is crying about her deceased daughter, she is being disrespectful to the Empress Dowager who does not have children of her own. You can see Grandma Wang's face change when the Empress Dowager reminds her that she has no children of her own. The Empress Dowager is rather quick to dismiss Grandma Wang and her son, but not before a rather interesting act. She's playing with a candle in front of her and goes in to trim the wick. The first cut with scissors is fine, but with the second cut, she cuts too far, which causes the candle to go out. She exclaims that, look, the flames have gone out, to which her head eunuch responds that this is inevitable. Only if you trim the wick can the flames last longer. With that, the Wang guests are escorted out. After they leave the palace, Grandma Wang and her son have a bowl of noodles while discussing what just happened. 
Grandma Wang is still seething that the legs of Gu Tingye could kill her daughter. If they were back in their heyday, the Wang family heyday, that is, no one would dare cross the Wang family because they were so important. They continue with the metaphor of the wick. Let me take a moment to explain it. For the Empress Dowager, I feel like there are two ways of interpreting the candle wick and the need to trim it. The first interpretation is that Aunt Kong's death was needed to ensure the longevity of the Wang family. I don't think it's a secret that Aunt Kong was not an ethical person by any means and caused many issues for the Wang family. Now that she's gone, the wick has been trimmed, which means that the Wang family can possibly enjoy longer prosperity. And this is coming from the Empress Dowager. I don't doubt for a second she knows exactly what type of person Aunt Kong is. The second interpretation is to highlight that Gu Tingye is the one that needs to be culled. The Empress Dowager wants to ensure the longevity of the Song Dynasty and the rule of the current emperor. From her rhetoric, she doesn't necessarily think that it's the emperor who's at fault, but rather is too influenced by the likes of officials such as Gu Tingye. Therefore, to ensure that the Song Dynasty continues on, Gu Tingye must be uh, trimmed. The Empress Dowager does not outright say this, but only uses the metaphor of the candle wick for the Wang family to decide what they want to do next. Also, that way she has plausible deniability if they don't understand her meaning. Outside, when the Wang mother and son duo are discussing next steps, they also refer to the candle. For Grandma Wang, the flames of prosperity of their family are flickering towards its demise. She is focused on how they can keep those embers alight. The Wang family ultimately decides to align themselves with the Empress Dowager in bringing down Gu Tingye. With the chess pieces in place, the Empress Dowager takes her next step. She's been working with concubine Liu or Liu Guifei to undermine the Empress. The Empress Dowager requests that Liu Guifei gives her son, Yong'er, to the Empress Dowager to raise. The reasons she uses uh, are that this will allow Liu Guifei to focus on helping the emperor, and it will also allow the Empress Dowager to experience what it's like to raise children. This shocks concubine Liu, as we all know from other dramas, taking one's child is essentially taking them hostage. You, the mother, are basically bound to do the bidding of the person taking care of your child. This concubine Liu is understandably upset and spends the day drinking and crying over what she should do, but ultimately bites the bullet and brings her son over to the Empress Dowager. In her mind, she is doing what is best for her son's future because she wants him to become the next emperor. This was exchanged with... The fact that concubine Liu's brother was uh, brother-in-law was given additional military duties. This is the way to repay the concubine for her actions. It's all about transactions right now, and the Empress Dowager is making all of the right moves. On Madame Qin's side, she turns to someone we haven't seen in a while, Bai Dalong. He is Gu Tingye's relative, who is upset that Gu Tingye has inherited all of the wealth from the Bai family, while he is left with nothing. Recall that they are relatives because Gu Tingye's mother is from the Bai family, and her father 
left Guotingye with all of the Bai family wealth accumulated from their salt business, which is highly lucrative. Bai Dalang has tried for years to take over that wealth, but has had difficulty displacing Gu Tingye. Qin Dan Yangzi, or Madam Qin, knows this and now reaches out to him to see if he can be an ally in their mission of killing Gu Tingye. He gladly accepts the invite to the capital. I'm gonna change to a brief scene with the emperor and his son. So they're in the palace, and the prince shares his grand ambitions to his father to retake lost lands. The emperor, however, coldly asks if this was a suggestion from the prince or from Gu Tingye himself. The prince quickly bows and tries to give an explanation. The emperor simply continues to warn the prince to not be so agreeable to Gu Tingye's suggestions. Out of the corner of the scene, let's look at who's standing watch, a eunuch. Back with Madame Qin, she has entered the palace to visit concubine Liu. The two have a conversation about making good tea. One must not be too hasty and must always be attentive. It's quite genius as it's clear what the two women are up to. This is basically a metaphor for aligning with the Empress Dowager. Concubine Liu turns the conversation towards the generosity from the Empress Dowager. And after this conversation, it is evident that Madame Qin will align herself to Concubine Liu. While the women meet, the Empress Dowager's eunuch goes to talk to Bai Dalang. They have a discussion about tribute salt. This is salt that is specifically sent to the palace called Gongyan, and is a very lucrative business. On the way out of the palace, Madame Qin and Bai Dalang have a debrief in which Bai Dalang is completely clueless and has no idea what's happening. The wheels, though, are turning in Madame Qin's head as she figures it out that concubine Liu's son will be the pawn that the Empress Dowager will use to usurp the emperor. So to recap, the Empress Dowager now has Madame Qin, Grandma Wang, Concubine Liu, and also this Bai Dalong working together to uh, put Gu Tingye in his place and ultimately get rid of him. Quite the assembly of the troops, I would say. Now that the troops are gathered for the Empress Dowager, let's turn to what happened on Gu Tingye and Ming Lan's side. I feel like there's an inconsistency in the drama from a timeline perspective because Gu Tingye heads on over to Qi Hong's residence to thank him for his actions the previous day. But all of this that's happened doesn't seem like it was over 24 hours. Whatever. Just something that I noticed and irked me. In the last episode, we saw that Qi Hong finally grew a backbone and rushed to help Ming Lan when the fire was raging at the Cheng Gardens. He ignored his wife and parents who urged him to not go and followed his heart to do what's right. It was a bit random, but it was his epiphany moment that everything he did in the past was also a choice. And now that he had the choice to save Ming Lan and he finally went and did it. Gu Tingye saw this or heard that Qi Hong was there to help the flames or help quell the flames. And so Gu Tingye came to thank Qi Hong for his actions. 
Chi Hong at first was a little guarded because he thought Gu Tingye was here to reprimand him for helping out, but Gu Tingye's gratitude reaffirmed that Chi Hong did the right thing. For Chi Hong, it was also his opportunity to finally let his feelings for Ming Lan go. The two men, after months, if not years, of animosity over Ming Lan, are finally able to speak as friends again because, in the end, they're all doing what's best for their friend or loved one. Last episode and this episode were key turning points in Chi Hong's growth, and he is now once again on Ming Lan and Gu Tingye's side. I feel like he finally recognized that his focus and anger were misplaced and that he really doesn't have any uh, grounds to be upset for much longer. I will say he has also started to take notice of the fact that his wife, Madame Shen, does actually care for him. She thought Gu Tingye was here to harm Ti Hong, so she hid out of sight with a dagger, hoping to protect Ti Hong. When Ti Hong saw this, it warmed his heart, and they decide to start having more open dialogue. Yay for marriage improvements. And seriously, Ti Hong finally has his like head out of the sand now and is uh, more or less an adult. The funny thing is that while Ti Hong and his wife are starting a relationship, Minglan is also turning into that woman that Gu Tingye has pined for forever. After giving birth to her son, Minglan is primarily or has been primarily focused on caring for him. Understandably, given the stress of his birth, she is incredibly protective of him. Not only that, but she has also become much more emotionally attached to Gu Tingye, so much so that she has now learned how to be jealous. Because of the fire, many parts of the Chung Gardens were ruined. One area that suffered heavy damages includes the residence of the forgotten concubine, Feng Xian. If we recall, she was planted there by Gu Tingye's paternal aunt and Madame Qin. Gu Tingye has never touched her or thought of her in any way, but given now that she is homeless, he went over to check up on the damage to her rooms. It's not like he says a whole lot to her, but news that he's there travels to Minglan. So when Gu Tingye shows up to check in on Minglan after seeing Feng Xian, Minglan gets all annoyed. She's like, get away from my son. You're going to get him cold. I'm going to sleep, even though she just woke up. It finally clicks for him that Minglan is actually jealous of the fact that he went to spend time with Feng Xian, which she hurriedly denies, but her temper gave it away. She yells at him to stop telling her maids to help him out and instead use his own servants. I guess many other partners would have been annoyed at such a telling off, but Gu Tingye just starts chuckling with glee. She is finally jealous over him. He is over the moon. What a complete weirdo. Well, we kind of uh, bring together the storylines, and the episode ends with Gu Tingye headed back to the brothel. We'll see what happens in the next episode. Now let's move on to culture and history. There were a lot of random tidbits in this uh, episode. First, I do want to mention that Empress Cao, so the Empress Dowager, 
in her conversation with Grandma Wong, said that she had three kids, none of whom lived to adulthood. That is false. She never had kids. Next, let's take a hot second to talk about Grandma Wong's clothes. Grandma Wong, in meeting the Empress Dowager, wears specific clothes to see her. We'll let this go for now because we'll group that into the discussion where Ming Lan wears something similar in later episodes. Essentially, it is her Gao Ming outfit, uh, befitting of her title. Now, let's move on to the quick meal that Grandma Wang and Uncle Wang have after they leave the Emperor's uh, or the Empress Dowager's residence. It has many nuggets from a cultural perspective. First, Grandma Wang tells her maid that she wants two bowls of noodles. But then when the maid goes to the stall, she says, I want two suobing. I actually never knew what swooping it was until literally watching this episode uh, more closely. They're technically just mian tiao or noodles, but they're called swooping. They aren't your thin noodles that you think of uh, for Chinese noodles nowadays. They are actually a little bit wider. And this is shown in the drama when Grandma Wang and Uncle Wang have that late night meal. The noodles themselves are much wider. One record of the name of Suobing comes from Shiming, or Explanation of Names, which is a Chinese dictionary written in the late Eastern Han Dynasty, so around 200 uh, AD. I couldn't find a very good reason for the name or like where it came from. However, uh, it is one of the earliest instances of boiled noodles recorded. I have never called it suobing. I just call it mian tiao. <laughs> yep. All right, next. We want to talk about Huan Hai Chen Fu. During the same meal, Grandma Wang is lamenting how far the Wang family has fallen, to which Uncle Wang responds, Yes, I never rose to the level of father, but Huan Hai Chen Fu, I still have some respect. Huan Hai Chen Fu means the unpredictability of the political arena. So for Uncle Wang, he has navigated through some complex times and does have uh, some political clout. This idiom is actually an anachronism. I did a little bit of digging and the first use of this idiom actually comes from the book Midnight or Ziye by the author Mao Dun. That's his pen name. His real name was Shen De Hong. The novel was written between 1931 and 1932 and depicts contemporary life of Shanghai during that time. It is one of the most influential novels of the early 20th century uh, from China. I think I read snippets of his work previously. Um, so it's uh, on the bucket list to continue to read some of his work. I think this is um, the second time that we've had a more recent idiom referenced in the drama. So the next idiom that I want to talk about is li, or the direct translation is pulling the chestnut from the fire. This is actually our next anachronism. This uh, 
Idiom in Chinese is a translation from the fable "The Monkey and the Cat" or "Le Singe et le Chat" from a collection of fables from Jean de La Fontaine, which was published in the 17th century. The English idiom is actually a cat's paw, which, according to the Merriam-Webster dictionary, means one used by another as a tool. The story goes as follows. The monkey Bertrand persuades Raton, the cat, to pull chestnuts from the fire, promising him a share. The cat burns his paw in the process. The monkey eats all the chestnuts, and the cat is left with nothing. How cool is that? A French fable is in turn used as a Chinese idiom. Uncle Wang uses this idiom when asking his mother. Why entangle themselves in the political fight and be a pawn for the Empress Dowager? Why should they be the ones pulling the chestnuts from the fire? So we're in the Song Dynasty. This is、uh, around the mid 11th century. The fables were published around the 17th century. So not even the same continent nor the same century. Now Grandma Wang responds to. Uncle Wang with 父母之爱子则为知己深远 This saying is mentioned twice in the episode. Once again with concubine Liu when she is thinking about her son. The translation is as follows: The love of a parent means that they will plan long and far for their children. We discussed this at length in episode twenty. Two and twenty-three, part one. So check out that episode、um, to listen to what we discussed on this saying. Next, Madame Wang then quotes Mengshis with the phrase "Duns Zhizhe Wu Shi Er Zhan." The YouTube translation is pretty good. The achievements of a lord will be exhausted after several generations, five to be exact. Mengshis is, of course, a Confucian philosopher who lived from 372 to 289 BC and one of the most famous sages in Chinese history. Madame Wang here wants to ensure the fame and glory of the Wang family. So let's see. In the short conversation between mother and son, we have so many、uh, references to various poems,、um, various time. Times, various eras, and some of them not in the same, not in the correct era. So this is quite cool to research、um, and dive into. And lastly, let's discuss the lines "Chun Feng Yu Lu Jiang Nan An" from Bo Chuan Guazhou. This actually comes from,、uh, or the scene that this comes from is when the eunuch, the Empress Dowager's eunuch. Goes to talk to Bai Dalang to discuss the salt business. He quotes the line "Chun Feng Yu Lu Jiang Nan An." The poem was written by the poet Wang Anshi, who lived from 1021 A.D. to 1086. So this is right around the time the drama takes place. The time the poem was written is up for dispute. Some say 1068, some say 1074, 1075. Please note that these times actually take place after the drama because Song Yingzong dies in 1067, which is the current emperor in the drama. The full poem goes like this: 
京口瓜洲易水间，中山只隔数重山。春风又绿江南岸，明月何时照我还？ My translation goes like this: I'm standing at the ferry place at Guazhou, looking south. There's only a river separating Jingkou and Guazhou. My home in the Zhong Mountains is hidden by some other mountains. The warm winds of spring have made these fields of Jiangnan green. When will the moon shine the way back home? It's a lovely poem. It's kind of weird that the Empress Dowager's eunuch is discussing this,、um, but nice to kind of just、uh, discuss some more poems、uh, for our cultural segment, which we haven't done in a little bit. All right, that concludes what we have from a. History and culture perspective. Let's turn to book differences. This section will be short and sweet today. The drama has charted its own path and diverges from the book, so not much of this episode takes place anywhere in the book. The fire from the previous episode did happen, but not much else. So, you listeners, let me know if you would want me to nitpick and point out my thoughts on the adaptation. Um, from the drama and the book for the next couple of episodes, but this section will be quite light as the drama、uh, charts its own path. All right, and that is it for today. Thank you all so much for listening. If you are looking for a platform to watch Chinese dramas and you're in the U.S., take a look at our sponsor, Jubao TV. Where you can stream Chinese dramas and movies online through their streaming platform Zumo, XUMO, or else on TV via Xfinity and Cox Contour. The shows and movies are all free, and they have English subtitles as well. The music that you heard today is performed by Karen,、um, and is the piece called Lan by Bingjiu Wo Niu Jun. We'll catch you all in the next episode. 